Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Friday. We made it through the week. Awesome show planned for you today. Royce White, Delano Squires. Uh, Bryson Gray is back with us live in studio. A round of applause for Bryson Gray. Uh, Bryson Gray's back in studio with us. And we're going to be joined by one of Bryson's friends at the end of the show, the rapper Topher. Uh, I promised Bryson I'd bring in some entertainment to the show. Not that Topher's going to rap, but uh, Topher's doing something fun. And, and we'll end the show on a fun note because today's show is going to be a little bit heavy. Uh, there will be some of you that will find today's topic perhaps distasteful, but it's going to be honest and it's going to be transparent. And if you really want to understand me and what has uh, motivated some of my worldview, you got to listen to today's show. It will come as no surprise to you, those of you that have followed me for a long time or paid close attention to this show. But yesterday, Thursday, was Louis Farrakhan's 90th birthday. Uh, Louis Farrakhan, an important figure in American history and culture, someone whose uh, work uh, and speeches, particularly in my years in college, had a great impact on me. Uh, yesterday, uh, I started the morning out uh, wishing uh, Louis Farrakhan a happy 90th birthday over Twitter, and some people were upset. How can you support Louis Farrakhan? I'm like, I can support Louis Farrakhan because I went to the Million Man March, and it's one of the most memorable experiences of my life. In college, I listened to a lot of the dude's speeches and I went to Savior's Day, and again, I was never a member of the Nation of Islam. I was never going to be a member of the Nation of Islam. But Louis Farrakhan's message of black male self-responsibility rang true to me then, and it rings true to me now. And if the Christian church, if Christian ministers as boldly as Louis Farrakhan has for years, called on men to take responsibility for themselves, their families, and their communities, I wouldn't have ever been attracted to Louis Farrakhan of the Nation of Islam because I would have gotten that from the Christian church. But the Christian church has been so rigged towards women, and particularly the black church has been so rigged towards black women that I had to get it, and other men of my generation had to get that masculine spiritual energy from other sources. And, and I know that uh, many of the Jewish community consider uh, Louis Farrakhan an anti-Semite. I listened to the man for years, for years. And that was never my takeaway from his message. And I say that in all authenticity, I was not an idiot. The man's message to me, what I heard, and I used to get a lot of his speeches, was always about black men taking responsibility for themselves and their communities, quit whining and crying about being a victim, and stand up and take care of yourself. That's what I heard over and over and over again, and it resonated with me, and I'm never going to deny that. I'm a Christian. 
I'm never, I never was a member of the Nation of Islam, never was going to be. The Nation of Islam is a cult. I, I get it. I know what it is and a lot of the stuff they believe sounds goofy to me, but a lot of the things that we believe. I can remember being at a Savior's Day and one of my best friend's fathers went with us to Savior's Day and he was making fun of something the Nation of Islam believed. And, and uh, someone in, overhearing us said, oh, and you believe Jonah survived in that well for three days, huh? And, and, you know, but the mothership and all this other. So people think some of the things that I believe are goofy. I think some of the things the Nation of Islam think are goofy. And particularly anybody that knows me is I, I, I share with Bryson before the show that at Ball State, I was uh, the main man for Farrakhan News and the Nation of Islam News. <clears throat> while having a white girlfriend. <laughs> so uh, it's very complex. I, I, I think he's very complex. I think he's worthy of discussion, 90 years old. He's on the back end of his life. And so we've invited Royce White uh, to join us at the top of the show as we try to unpack uh, some of uh, Farrakhan's legacy. I want to start, just we got a little highlight package of a montage of Louis Farrakhan comments just to get some of the younger audience that may not know much about him or some of the audience that has not paid attention to Louis Farrakhan. This is a montage that we didn't put together, we found on the internet. It's, it, it, it's more of the controversial highlights I think than than what really gets at the substance of Louis Farrakhan, but I don't I don't want to hide anything. I want to present Farrakhan to you the way the media has presented him to you, so that you can understand this conversation. Let's let's play the first montage clip. And I watched the evil of the United States government at work, but of course. They will tell you they're different from their fathers. It's the same devil. You may not want to fight. You better get ready. Teach your baby how to throw the bottle if they can. Why should anybody who criticizes Jewish behavior that ill affects black people and their pursuit of happiness be considered anti-Semitic? Hitler was a very great man. He rose Germany up from the ashes of her defeat. Don't you be fooled by a smile and a pat on the back and a white woman in your arms, brother. Even if you mean good, I don't give a damn. You go with your own people. It's a deep guilt thing that white folks suffer. You are afraid that if we ever come to power, we will do to you and your fathers what you and your people have done to us. But we'll tear this goddamn so that's a taste of Louis Farrakhan and, and what makes him controversial and polarizing here in America. Royce, I, I want to start with you and I just want to start with a general question. How mm -hmm. should he's 90? He's not dead, but, you know, I don't think he's got another 90 years left in him. How should Louis Farrakhan be remembered and regarded in American culture? 
Um, well, I grew up here in Minnesota, right? Midwest boy to the fullest, and we have a huge Chicago influence in our black community. We we are considered the, uh, you know, the 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 Western Chicago. That dates back to when the uh, the Chicago outfit Al Capone and the Chicago mob um, built Minneapolis or St. Paul as a sort of uh, outpost or, or getaway when things were too hot in Chicago. So uh, a lot of the a lot of the black community that lives here in Chicago uh, in Minneapolis either came from Chicago or heavily influenced by Chicago, also Detroit and some of those other uh, bigger mid Midwestern cities. So I grew up being able to watch Minister Louis Farrakhan on cable access, his channel called uh, WGN. And it was a public access uh, to some of Minister Louis Farrakhan's speeches. And um, maybe it wasn't WGN, but we had public access and, and he was on there. So, you know, I think he has to be remembered as one of the greatest black leaders in American history. Right. And there's a long list. I mean, you could go to Frederick Douglass, you could go to all these other people and surely they, they belong on the list and high up on the list as well. But but uh, he, he definitely has has earned his place. Now, many people have many criticisms of him for many different reasons. And if you if you're fortunate enough, if you're blessed enough to live for 90 years, uh, show me a person who doesn't have uh, criticisms of them or has made mistakes or said things that they regret. Um, he who, you know, he who is without sin cast the first stone, but surely he stood against the corruption of the status quo. He's he's always spoke against the prevailing neoliberal and neocon narrative. And I think he, he is well defined by his own legacy and his own words and his own work. But I think you can also now retroactively or in retrospect define him by the people who have been clumped together with him. And I think Alex Jones is the greatest example. The people who oppose Minister Louis Farrakhan are some of the same people who oppose Alex Jones. And they're obviously on two completely different sides of the spectrum on face value. Uh, but if you go listen to their legendary and historic interview together, you'll see that they're much closer to uh, sanity and logic than the mainstream uh, elites that that control our society today. Bryson, how do you think? And I know, Bryson, I know you're young as well as as. Uh, Roy's, but you, you're quite familiar with Louis Farrakhan as well. Yeah, uh, actually one of the clips you played um, <clears throat> in that uh, collage, I know the whole interview by heart. Uh, when I went through my, um, it was the one where he said, um, we'll uh, teach your kids how to fight, teach them how to throw the baby bottle, or we'll tear this GD country up. He also said in that same interview, he said, um, these people kill a black man and and go and go home, go to Wendy's and eat a burger. And then it, like, he, he talks about how that shouldn't happen no more in the interview. I, like I said, I had a stint in my life where I was super duper, duper pro-black, uh, but more the conservative side of being pro-black, which honestly led me to where I am now. And uh, I, I flat like Roy said, like you said, he's gonna re be remembered for different things by different people. If you're a Jewish person, the only thing you know about Louis Farrakhan is what he said about Jewish people, right? So you're gonna view you're gonna view him as anti-Semite. If you're if you're a Nation of Islam person, you're gonna think he's one of the greatest men to ever live in existence. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it just depends. It depends on who, who you are. I think he should be remembered for all of it, actually, the good, the bad, um, the the entire scope of a human, because we're all human at the end of the day. Um, but you can't say everything he taught was bad. He taught men how to be men. He taught you to fight back and protect yourself. 
You know what I'm saying? Everything wasn't bad about what he taught. The, the issue is a lot of people, they'll disagree with one thing you say uh, vehemently, um, and then they'll pretty much write you off entirely as a human being. I think that too much is made of all the other things that he said. There was one hyper area of focus that his life was dedicated towards. And it, it was the upliftment of black men and the call out to black men to live up to their responsibilities as men. I don't think I'm being naive. I don't think my memory is faulty. When I listened and consumed a lot of Farrakhan's speeches, that's all I heard. And, and maybe he said these other things, but they were not the focus. And what I point to as evidence of that is arguably his greatest accomplishment, the Million Man March. If, if, if he had spent, his focus had been on desecrating and demonizing Jewish people, I don't think you could get a million black dudes to show up at a march on Washington. I, that content wouldn't produce what he ended up producing in Washington. And I was there, and there were a million men there. I know other people, hundreds of thousands or whatever, but, and look, maybe I have a bias because I was there, but I, I do, for those of you that are too young, this is in 1994, I believe in 1992, he first threw it out. Like, hey, I want a million men to show up in Washington, D.C. And it was very controversial. And then towards the end, and I'd say in the last eight months of the buildup to it, next thing you know, first everybody was upset. Why just a million men? How come the women ain't coming? Blah, blah, blah. And then by the end of it, they had made some compromise. And, and I think Maya Angelou spoke and a handful of women showed up and were on the dais. And the next thing you know, a bunch of other people we're speaking as well, but let, let, there's a news clip here that's about a little more maybe than 60 seconds that kind of captures the Million Man Mars. Let's play that. They poured off buses from Baltimore, Richmond, Syracuse, Norfolk, and all across the country. By midday, they filled the Washington Mall from the U.S. Capitol all the way to the Washington Monument, a stunning sight. They heard from scores of black leaders and from the poet Maya Angelou. And at day's end, they heard from the man who called them here, Louis Farrakhan. But the real evil in America is not white flesh or black flesh. The real evil in America is the idea that undergirds the setup of the Western world. And that idea is called white supremacy. Then Farrakhan talked directly to President Clinton. We are a wounded people, but we are being healed. But President Clinton, America is also wounded. And there's hostility now in the great divide between the people. Socially, the fabric of America is being torn apart. And it's black against black, black against white, white against white, white against black, yellow against brown, brown against yellow. We are being torn apart. And we can't gloss it over with nice speeches, my dear Mr. President. So <laughs> it's funny, his greatest moment, the Million Man March, 
which everyone thought was a lark and a joke and would never have any success. And oh my God, DC is going to be overrun. It's going to be, it was a beautiful event. It was a peaceful event. It was an awesome event. But it also, in my view, was his worst moment. The guy gave a two hour speech that was hot garbage. And, and you talking about some, I've listened to a lot of Farrakhan speeches. The guy's a terrific orator. He was awful on this day. And I can remember Lee, we were upset. We caravan there, drove 14, 15 hours or however long it takes to drive to DC from Indianapolis. We were all excited, Many, probably a dozen of my friends, we all went. And he gave a bad speech, a, a boring bad speech, did a lot of numerology and just, it wasn't a good speech. And we left there frustrated. And I think that that speech, again, it's, it went on for like two hours. And I was like, you know, Martin Luther King and Mark Hunter on Washington, he, I think he spoke for like maybe eight, nine minutes, 12, maybe 12, 13. Gettysburg Address, Lincoln, I think it's two or three minutes. This dude went for two hours. <laughs> and he's never been as relevant since the Million Man March. That was the peak. Royce, I'm going to ask you, why do you think, other than or expound on, there's been a concerted effort. I think that man being able to get a million people to show up revealed himself as very dangerous. And, and they went after him more aggressively, more relentlessly to make sure that that could never happen again? <clears throat> I think the rejection of Farrakhan in the most general sense is a reflection of what plagues American uh, culture in general, and really it plagues uh, modern society. I think Minister Louis Farrakhan is an example of somebody who tries valiantly and all of his many flaws that we all have to speak against the corrupt status quo. And people project their need for a leader to be Christ-like or just as, you know, Christ in order to follow them, right? And then they, and in doing so, they pick out the few and far between mistakes, you could call them, that a person would make in their, in their frequent oratory, right? It's like people who speak all the time, every day, you're going to make mistakes. You and I know that being on air, uh, especially when you're a man who speaks live and you speak in front of uh, congregations of people and you travel and you're sick sometimes and the whole, the whole nine, maybe sometimes you're just in a bad mood, <laughs> right? Uh, people make those mistakes because we're all flawed. But we take those few moments where people make mistakes and we use them to justify not following a man altogether. And we make it seem though, we make it seem as though we do it because we want our leaders to be perfect. But really, we just don't want the change. That's the reality. We don't want the change. And, and, and us not wanting the change is exemplified in the rest of how we carry ourselves. And this is why I've been so critical of the, the 501c3 Christian institutions which include Protestants and, and the Catholic Church, they all project this need for their leaders to be Christ-like. But it's not the Christ-like leader they want, because if the Christ-like leader returned, many of them would deny him. They would call for his crucifixion again. I know that in my heart. And it's the same for Minister Louis Farrakhan and, and many of the other leaders, Donald Trump, uh, John F. Kennedy, 
Martin Luther King, Malcolm. I, I mean, you know, the list goes, Alex Jones. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. We, we pick out these few flaws and we use it to disregard people who we should be listening to. I think you make a great point in even referencing Donald Trump. The, the system, I believe, hates any populist leader who can actually reach the people. The system wants to be in control of the people. Farrakhan, at one point, was able to reach the masses and, and to get a million black men to listen to his criticism of them and come out there to repent, atone, and blah, blah, blah. Donald Trump reaches millions of working class white Americans. They fear that. And, and again, Royce is hinting at, and Bryson, I, I want you to follow in on this, and then Royce, you follow in after Bryson and expound on your point. But Royce is hinting at that the, the, the system, consistent pattern of destroying every man that speaks for the working class and reaches the working class and, and can communicate with them and reach them without the approved message that the system wants propagated. I agree. I was there for the million mega march before January 6th, which, which was actually, in my opinion, my opinion had more people than January 6th. And I was there January 6th. And when you saw the streets the same way it just showed me how the streets look for Louis Farrakhan, look exactly like that uh, for, for, for Donald Trump. So Donald Trump is somebody that was able to, um, to spark a movement to get up a million people out there in D.C., you know, same thing. So, of course, the powers that be are going to be against anybody with that much influence that isn't going exactly along the line of how they want everything to go. So they have to attack every single person that way, just like Royce, just like Royce said. Royce. And, and yeah, and, and to follow up on, a, on another point, I mean, you played that video in the beginning. And it shows some of the most controversial moments that obviously are, are um, heavily, you know, centered around the race conversation. And I think one of the few, one of the few pitfalls of of Louis Farrakhan's legacy is his overemphasis on race. And I think the strife between part of the strife between Malcolm and the nation towards the end was obviously his his rift with uh, with Elijah Muhammad and that whole deal that went on. But but also his more uh, worldly his 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 a uh, more worldly perception of Islam after traveling to Africa and Mecca and, and seeing that there were other Muslims who weren't bound by certain American cultural, ethnic, and national norms, right? Like, what is a white Muslim? Are the Muslims in Turkey white? Surely some are. There are some white Muslims in Africa. So I think that's one of the pitfalls. And the, the, the establishment is very savvy in finding the weaknesses in a person's overall presentation and then hyperimposing them. And, and, and I'll say this again for, for Minister Louis Farrakhan, even in that, in that video, he said at the Million Man March that the the undergirding idea of 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 this country was white supremacy. Now, there's a big problem with that because it's not white supremacy. I think that was a little too shallow. Um, I think he didn't go deep enough. I think that was an expression of the sentiment of the time coming off the back of the civil rights movement and the role Elijah Muhammad and the, the Nation of Islam had played in that era. 
But in actuality, the prevailing idea that undergirds America, the, the bad ideas, let's say, because there are a ton of brilliant ones, the bad ideas that undergird America come from the European intellectual and academic tradition that was codified from research that was done about cultures all over the world that included people who weren't white. Because, and this is why we have problems understanding the threat there in China. The Chinese are the masters of slave slavery, okay? They're not white. That's not white supremacy. The Asian cultures who subjugated slaves isn't white supremacy. The African cultures who subjugated slaves isn't white supremacy. The Israelites who, who lived under the slavery and captivity of Pharaoh isn't an example of white supremacy. So his history was, was, was short, right? His history was a little too short and it catered to the audience. And we have to be careful as people who speak to audiences, not to cater to the audience. And sometimes you take slings and arrows for not catering to the audience, but in the long run, your message ages better. And, and, and again, the prevailing idea that undergirds this country's business model is Darwinism. And Darwinism is a European intellectual academic tradition, and that's what informed the business model of slavery, drugs, piracy, and it came down hardest on black people. You could say that, but it's not white supremacy. It's, an, it's a lack of faith. It's a crisis of faith. And many of us would take slaves if we had the opportunity, and we have when we had the opportunity, when we lacked that, that fundamental uh, love for God. Right, you, you make an awesome point, and Farrakhan, like a lot of ministers and a lot of flawed cult-like ministers, they use racial idolatry to hook people in. That's the hook. And it's pervasive throughout the black Christian church. And I don't have a lot of experience with the white Christian church, so it's hard for me to speak on that. It's probably there, too. But I do know what goes on in the black Christian church, and it's the selling of racial idolatry. And there, there's this white boogeyman, and that's why you need to come tithe here and serve here, because I'm going to protect you from the white boogeyman and blah, blah, blah. And, and what, what people don't give me credit for or just other people credit for is like, I can discard, again, the racial idolatry and, you know, the white man's the devil. None of that stuff ever rang true to me. And, and my social circles and the way that I operated would prove, like, I, I, that's not me. What attracted me, again, is the patriarch in me, the man in me, be responsible, take responsibility for yourself, your community, your family. He hammered that point. And that's what attracted me and a lot of other guys. If, if I wish that there were churches that just hammered that point constantly. Again, that's what we're trying to do here at Fearless. Uh, we're basically trying to build our own church <laughs> and, and have it directed at men, regardless of color. And, and you're right, Royce, Farrakhan spoke so well that if he had removed the racial idolatry from his message, and, and, and he could have been the guy that could have connected the working, he could have been a, a, a different, better spoken version of Trump. Uh, but like a lot of ministers, and, and like, he, again, he's born into or gets involved in a religious sect that 
Elijah Muhammad and Master Fard Muhammad, whoever invented it, they built the racial idolatry in it. And so he, he went with that. I want to uh, uh, well, well, further. I, 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 oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I just I just wanted to say, I mean, let's let's not be mistaken. There was a, a, an explicit race issue between blacks and whites at the time when he came into the public arena. Uh, it's just, you know, there's things that you speak to in real time. And then there's things that speak across the greatest iteration of time. And, and you know, the civil rights. Look, nobody can deny the history of racism in this country. That's ridiculous, too. And I think too many times the conservative movement, me and Maj Touré talked about that, the conservative movement or the establishment conservatives or even some of the further right, you know, America first conservatives get caught up in trying to defend the racial history of this country because the left has weaponized it against them. And they have weaponized it against them. And you have this convolution of the real history of racism and then it being used as a political wedge issue to move the pieces on the board. Um, so, yeah, the racism. Well, here's was, where I'm going to disagree with you, though. Here's okay. where I'm going to disagree with you. I, I, I think we have an idolatry issue. Racism is not mentioned in the Bible. And there's a reason why. It's because racism is just idolatry. It, it's placing your skin color, placing the importance of that above God and above obedience to God and all of that. We have an idolatry issue and yeah. we've identified it or misdiagnosed it as a racism issue. It's just sin. And the solution to all of it is always Jesus Christ and obedience. And, and we've, I've been trying to fight this battle of like, everybody understands that the scripture, the Bible, the gospel, there's power in that. And, and it's the most powerful tool we have, the words actually in the Bible. What the left and the secular community does is they move us away from the words in the Bible. And that's why they love us talking about racism rather than idolatry is that yeah. racism is something they can control and, and can lead you astray. We have an idolatry issue. The root of all sin is connected to idolatry. And, and so I, I think a great, th there's not any issue from slavery to any racial issue that we've had in America. It's all a failure of obedience to God. And it's all yeah. a it, it, it's it's just sin. So I, I just want to throw that well, in. I, I think, you don't I have think, to agree I, with me, but I well, well, number one, I do agree. Um, but you know, there are tiers and layers to to the problems that we face. No doubt. I mean, some people have personal problems, and some people have family problems, and some people have communal problems, and then it gets bigger and bigger from there. Uh, so there's a hierarchy of of, of problems or or of issues. Um, it, it, as, even as far as you know the the, the nation goes, um, if if I recollect properly, I would I would say that another huge rift between Malcolm and Elijah Muhammad was one that we would more tend to agree with Elijah Muhammad on, where Elijah told Malcolm, before you get too invested in these political issues, the black community in America has to have their spiritual house in order. We have to have our spiritual house and faith in order before we can be too invested in these political issues. In, in, in the final analysis, yeah, of course, that's true. But people aren't as perfect in, in, in your everyday person is no more perfect than we want our leaders to be. 
And so, you know, this is where genuine leadership that's righteous and has discernment is so vital. Um, and, and I say that in relation to your last comment, because, yeah, racism is idolatry at its root. But if we want to talk about racism in its modern form, we do have to acknowledge where its roots, where its teeth, where it got its legs. And and while Europe, in many ways, white white people in Europe, but they don't call them white in Europe. You're from Germany, you're from Ireland, you're from Sweden, you're from Italy. They don't call you white, you're your nation. Matter of fact, the whole identification of white people traditionally has been by its nationality. Right. And now we just abandoned the nation state altogether. It's the greatest propaganda scam in history. But um, even even in, in, in Europe, you know, at the time when when this whole thing got going, um, the European intellectual tradition and academia is what codified the idea of racism. Right. Like this whole social Darwinism, race based thinking around the organization of society was codified in academic Europe. And it still has its roots in our academic system today. They've just moved the pieces around and, and blinded the people to where the real racism is. And that's how your Democrats end up being the progenitors of social justice when they were the inventors of the KKK, right? And where did the KKK come from? The KKK is an offshoot of Freemasonry and Scottish right social Darwinist thinking that came from Europe. And yet still a week ago, we all get on our knees and bow when King Charles is crowned. It's ludicrous. It's ludicrous. So we do have to know the history to be able to untangle the knots that keep us stuck in a narrative. But ultimately, I agree with you, Christ, and, and being more Christ-like and being more faithful would solve a lot of the issues, no doubt. Um, I agree. Because we might not like the term racism uh, because race, like Roy said, is, is pretty much a... So Western, it's, it's more of an American construct because any other places, like if you talk to people from other countries, they call you by your nationality. Nobody's calling you black. Me, you, er, we'll be American. You know what I'm saying? Even if you go to, you go to a lot of places in Africa, you're American. Nobody gonna call you black. Uh, so so I, I, I do feel like, though, since we're using the terms in here, we do have to acknowledge the history of this country. So the issue with a lot of this racial idolatry that you're speaking about, it's easier to convince somebody of something if it has some truth to it. So black people were treated a certain way in this country. That is just a historical fact. We were literally not even called fully human at one point in time. Like that's that's kind of you got to think about it. Emmett Till. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Vulnerable people were treated a certain way in this country. I agree. You know, the jungle preys on the weak, and so if you're vulnerable, you will be preyed upon. And so there's nothing that has ever happened to black people in this country that did not also happen to white people. Nothing. So I'm asking you a question. Yeah. Anyway, and this was, I'm, I'm about to throw up saying this because I don't even want anybody to mistake me for somebody that's pro-black. No. Were white people called three-fifths? White people weren't called, black people weren't called three-fifths. The three-fifths compromise is completely misunderstood. Mm -hmm. Explain it. You, the three-fifths compromise was a way for the North to prevent the South from counting all of their slaves so they would have more voting power. They wanted to count all the slaves so that they had a larger voting block. 
And so there was a compromise made that favored people that were uh, anti-slavery. What was the compromise? The three-fifths compromise. What was that, exactly? That black people counted as three-fifths. Three-fifths what? Of a human. Was, what, did that happen to white people? Like, was, was, that, was, white people was white people included? That didn't, again, when you say happened to us, that actually was a compromise that favored us and gave the slave owners in the South less voting power. I, I know what it was, but the, but the, it still doesn't change the fact that because of the voting situation, whatever reason you want to pit on it, those black people were viewed as three-fifths of a human, correct? It would have been worse had we been <laughs> considered whole. Listen. And it's only the enslaved. No. There were free blacks. Yes, I'm no, not no, saying, no. I'm not saying everyone, but you don't... No. Uh, but you don't think that's... I'm sorry. Kind of- Hop in, Royce. Go ahead. If we yeah, got something no, no, wrong, no, no, go no. ahead. No, yeah. Let me, let me, let me... You're right about the way it was used, but also Bryson's right as well. And it, it, it is what it is. It doesn't really matter how it was used. The implication of it is fully anti-God, is fully anti-human, and it really rejects the, the underpinning Judeo-Christian values that we say were the guiding force in this country when really politics and business end up being the guiding force in that situation. But, but let me show you how good the devil really works, okay? Because you can make the argument that the Don't union- Don't forget your point, Bryson. Bryson makes a great point in that you always have to tie a little truth to something you want to get across, an, ex- an agenda you want to execute. This is propaganda. The art of propaganda isn't outright lies. It's half truth and it's the truth out of context as well. And so many people view the union and Abraham Lincoln as this abolition force. When really, if you know the history well enough, you could make the argument that the union looked to follow the federal government foot follow the follow in the footsteps of Europe and England because they were the first ones to abolish slaves. America wasn't. The UK. The Crown were the first ones to abolish slaves. And do you know why they abolished the slaves? Because they went to a fiat currency system aided to them by the the central banking masterminds who realized it's actually more expensive to have chattel slaves than it is wage slaves. And if we're going to go to an industrial economy, why do we need to hold people down in chains when we can actually get them hooked on an economy that favors us more in the end? And we don't have to keep up with you. Let you go. Let you go, let you starve, let you feel the the desperation of being on your own, and then you'll have to come to us to work for us anyway. This is the ingenious part of going from, I say the modern three eras of slavery are bondage slavery, then you had wage slavery, and now we're going into digital slavery, right? Psychological slavery, full-blown psychological digital slavery, AI slavery. Um, but yeah, so the Crown abolishes slavery. They already have a, a backup business model in place. Then the union wants to abolish slavery. And what was the outcome of the abolishment of slavery? A huge behemoth of federal government, right? A, 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 a surrendering of states' rights. And so did the union even really want to free the slaves because of the slaves? because of slavery as a moral issue. Maybe Abraham Lincoln did in spirit. Maybe he did personally. But the powers that be, the powers that benefited from the union winning that war, certainly got on the right track for wage slavery. And that's prevailed to this very day, where now we go to digital slavery and people are going to jerk off through a video headset. So... Well, I was going to, and the reason I brought up Emmett Till is because it, 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 when you look at the context, it really wasn't that long ago. 
But how many times have you heard about the Emmett Till story? A million times. A million times. Don't get me wrong. That is jacked up. Them people never went to jail. They bragged about it. They bragged about what they did to Emmett Till oh. afterwards, right? So it is jacked up. This, this is how you can emotionally manipulate people, though. Because they push that into your brain to make you feel like you going through that. That's why a lot of black people, if you ask any black person, especially where I'm from, they, they'll all say they experience racism. They truly haven't, though. The issue is they're able to emotionally manipulate them because they, it is a truth in this country how we were treated. And that and that truth led to them creating a beautiful lie. Because all like Roy said, all, all, the best lies got to start with the truth. It has to. That's what makes it a lot more believable. And I feel like that's what makes racial idolatry so prominent in this country. So what I'm saying, Bryson, is the exact same ploy and tactic could be used on white people. We could center the exploitation and the hardships that white people have gone through, talk about them nonstop. They could take some grisly murder that some black person did against a white person in 1975 or 1925 or whatever year and just over and over in a loop and just say, this is what happened to us. It's happening. It is working. Have you not, have you not been on Twitter? Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. That's exactly what's yeah. going on now. Yeah. But that's, and that's why I keep trying to tell people, come up out of this anecdotal worldview. I agree. You see yeah. an anecdote and you apply it to everything. The data doesn't back it up. It's not the norm. Quit convincing yourself that every time a white person cuts you off and try, oh, they did that because I'm black. They wouldn't have cut a white person <laughs> off like that. The, the woman at the cash register that may not have called you by your right name, oh, she did that because I'm black. You've been programmed to think that. So, so I just want to add a beautiful example because you brought it up and how it is happening to specifically, mainly white conservatives right now, for yeah. being honest, all these black on white videos. And what people do, there are a lot of people, especially on the America First side, I view these people as intelligent. I've seen yes. a debate, but they're being so emotionally manipulated. The data set that they all they always post the same data set. It's self-reported data. It's a victimization survey. It's self-reported, and uh, the the incidents in the report don't even have to be reported to the police. It's not even required. So this is like such weak data, but they're using it as a matter of fact because all lies start with a truth. They're being emotionally manipulated, just how black culture was in this country. But what's funny when you call it out. I get called pro-black. Well, what, and this is why I've been consistently, and you have too, and, and they need to give you credit for that. It's like, you could see the Black Lives Matter movement, what it was going to lead to. That seven, eight years ago, when it was popular to show every, oh, there's a woman in Central Park who called the police on some dude that was bird watching and all this other, and then, do y'all remember the deal? There was some dude at a Philadelphia Starbucks that couldn't go to the bathroom, they wouldn't unlock the bathroom. They turned this into a national deal. He wasn't a paying customer, they said you couldn't go to the bathroom. Well, it was because of racism. They turned into this big, and I'm like, where do y'all think this is gonna lead? Do, do y'all not understand Newton's law? Every action has an equal and opposite reaction? Yes. That th there's going to be a boomerang, that it was inevitable, that, that, like, I was sitting there going, y'all keep showing these videos. Oh, this white person, look at them treat this black. I said, you think they ain't got a gang of videos of these fatherless kids that yep. we produce 
acting wild and be, being disrespectful. These kids have no fathers. Mm -hmm. They're going to have an endless supply of videos showing just the opposite. And I was like, you got to come up out of it. Don't yeah. fall for it. And, you know, some of this contributes to my, uh, again, I have respect for Farrakhan, but he's clearly flawed. He participated in a lot of racial idolatry, promoted a lot of it, and helped program black people, even though his message was don't be a victim, by constantly, just like Royce points out, like, hey man, now nah, white supremacy is not what undergirded, blah, blah, blah. But he helped program. And, and th there are people that would argue that uh, Farrakhan's a CIA op, no different than Al Sharpton and, and all these people. And Royce, I, I, what do you think of that assertion that Perhaps Farrakhan, the reason why he's been allowed to exist as long as, long as he has, is that perhaps he was just another op. Uh, um, I think when you go to that level, it's very hard to know who is being influenced uh, by the CIA. Um, it's also very hard to determine who knows they're being influenced by the CIA. The CIA is great at influencing people without them knowing. Um, so it's very, very possible that, that the nation of Islam, well, we know that the nation of Islam historically had FBI and CIA plants. It's very possible that somebody very close to, to Minister Louis Farrakhan has, is, is, being, uh, is working for the CIA or has been working for the CIA for many years. Now, how much of his rhetoric is driven by his own belief and how much is driven by the CIA? I mean, who could know that? All I know is this, look at the people who the establishment goes the furthest. If we if we accept the general premise that the prevailing establishment is corrupt, that there's a corrupt status quo, look at the people who the establishment goes the furthest out of their way to silence. I go back to you know the the, the day that Alex Jones was kicked off Facebook, triggered the Minister Louis Farrakhan and Alex Jones were both kicked off of Facebook and YouTube and banned on the exact same day. It was a sweeping decision made by big tech across the board. That was the trigger point that eventually led to Donald Trump being banned off Twitter. So in that, I see a nexus of both black and white radical extremists that are now going to be called domestic terrorists uh, at the at the at the end of a, the, the government's uh, the barrel of the government's gun. And I think that bodes well in favor that that Minister Louis Farrakhan is not working for the CIA. And they say the same thing about Alex Jones, right? That's I mean, it's kind of funny how many people say that Alex Jones is a shill as well. And if they are, then many of us are in trouble because they seem to be the only people willing to put their balls on the line to talk against the status quo. If the if the only people who are talking against the corrupt status quo are in on it, it doesn't really it's not really an indictment of them. It's an indictment of us, because why are none of us genuine, not paid off, uh, uh, you know, players, uh, you know, speaking louder? I got to squeeze one more in here because and this is a sincere question, but I, I, it's also a tiny bit, let's say 10% CYA. Uh, is it fair 
to uh, frame Louis Farrakhan as an anti-Semite and have that be his primary identity, I say no. I, I say that's a joke to me. He's answered the question many, many times. Does he have the same view of Jewish people that I do? Is some of his rhetoric, I think, inarticulate, way too inflammatory uh, for the points that he says he's trying to make? Yes, uh, but, but you know, these people that just were, oh, he's an anti-Semite. It, it, and I was in an argument yesterday with someone over Twitter who claimed to be a Trump supporter, uh, was very upset that I wish Farrakhan a happy birthday. And, and you know, she's going off on, on Farrakhan. I'm like, I didn't say it to her, but I was like, you sound like the people that just say, oh, Donald Trump's a racist. And <laughs> it's like, huh? <laughs> I go, when I listen to Donald Trump, I hear a guy that's about America first and bringing manufacturing jobs back. That's how I grew up. That's what my black parents and all their black friends, that's how they grew up. I hear him, that's what I hear. When I don't hear this flaming racist that everyone else says he is and therefore he's a racist, so you, everything, and they compare him to Hitler. And I saw people yesterday comparing Farrakhan to Hitler and I'm just like, how? Hitler got, Six million bodies on him, and, and Farrakhan has none, but I don't think it's fair. I know I'm going to get criticized uh, for it, but damn it, I'm going to just keep it honest. I, I don't think it's fair. Flawed man, involved in a cult, uh, but he said many things that I agree with and inspire things in me that I'll never regret. I, I, I'll, you know, I, I'll leave it. At, is it fair, Royce? Uh, absolutely not. You know, it's it's. First of all, we gotta we gotta go back to the history. I keep harping on this, but I mean, how how can I not? The entire post World War II democratic liberal order political system, the global restructure of our economy, and the world's reserve currency, was done through the narrative of grievance politics, and those grievance po grievance politics have have layers. The first layer is Jewish. The next layer is black. The next layer is women's rights and LGBTQ rights that kind of form uh, uh, the same outer guard, which is why the women's rights movement or the white liberal posh, yuppie, neoliberal, omnisexual, metropolitan wine society of white women, like the woman who was doing the moderation on the on the Trump uh, town hall recently, um, <laughs> <laughs> that that whole nexus is uh, is the outer bastion of new world order. But guess who's at the furthest wall? Guess who's at the guess who's at the last wall? The Republican Party. <laughs> you got the Republican Party, white women, trans, LGBTQ, black people, and and at the beginning Jews, and before them. It was the same neocon war industrial complex that is there to finish the job at the end of the road. So um, using anti-Semitism is always a surefire way to silence somebody. I mean, that's just the easy go to. Right. And they always talk about the Holocaust. And I have many Jewish friends. I have many Jewish people, uh, family members. I have many, many Jews in my life, faithful Jews, Jews who are actually Jews, not anti-Jews. Because if you don't believe in God, you're not a Jew. That's my opinion. You're a, um, you are a, an anti-Jew. You're a gino. Um, but but um, many, many, many 
uh, people talk about the Holocaust as the most atrocious thing that happened in history. But Leopold killed 20 million Africans. And this is what I mean when I talk about racism. Look at how we're taught history. Yeah, we have to talk about racism because you can't overlook that the posh, opulent, white society of Europe seems to to view their their uh, tragedies and, and atrocities as more significant than those that they themselves waged against people who are darker skinned from another part of the world. That, my friends, is racism. That's eugenics. And these same European intellectual elites are the same eugenicists that prevail today. And they want to kill you. And they want you to stop having babies. And they want to create ecto farms. And they want to go to Mars. And they want to create a nuclear war with the, the Russians and the Ukrainians. And they don't care how many Africans starve from the loss of wheat. Right. So th this is this is what I'm trying to say. If you go back far enough in the history, we don't even have to have these wedge issue arguments. Because the villains are right there. They're wearing a huge sign on their on their chest that says, we did it, <laughs> right? Again, as far as the, the anti-Semitism thing goes, they call Donald Trump anti-Semitic too. They call Alex Jones anti-Semitic too. They even call people who are born Jews, cultural Jews, which I don't even agree is a real thing. It's not even a real category. But the people that they would say are cultural and ethnic Jews, they even call them anti-Semitic. They call Jews anti-Semitic. So, I mean, the whole thing is a complete dog whistle that whoever's making the allegation is full of shit. And it's usually CNN or MSNBC or the New York Times or Axios, which is the railhead of New World Order, right? This, this is not even a serious thing anymore. And any, if you're a Republican or conservative out there and you find yourself not liking Minister Louis Farrakhan, fine. That's okay. If you've never listened to him, you might be a racist. I'm just saying. But if you don't like him because they call him anti-Semite, you're a Rhino, you're a neocon. That's the reality. Sorry to tell you, Bryson. You got a final thought? Yeah, a final thought. I mean, just everything Roy said, basically. Minus, obviously, I don't curse, but I can repeat everything he said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. Um, so it's just the word used to attack people. Look, look who they use the word on. Like, um, like Donald Trump. Donald Trump is anti-Semitic. Donald Trump went to Israel. He, I mean, low-key sometimes Donald Trump shields for Israel. You know what I'm saying? But he's anti-Semitic, right? And, uh, I mean, same thing with Alex Jones. Like he said, everybody, they call anybody anti-Semitic that they want to shut down. Because as soon as you call somebody anti-Semitic, that can get you banned off whoop, everything. Look what happened to Kanye West. You know what I'm saying? If, when they deem you anti-Semitic, they can then, they have, that's the green light to destroy you, to ruin your life, and uh, to lie on you without you being able to defend yourself in the public square. Um, so I do not think that's a fair criticism of Louis Farrakhan, but I don't think life is fair. You know what I'm saying? Yep. I get called homophobic every day of my life. Am I scared of gay people? No. <laughs> I'm disgusted by it. You know what I'm saying? But sometimes you just got to embrace, embrace it. So now it's like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm whatever you want to call me. Because when you give power to the word, they can use it against you. When you embrace it, and has, when you embrace it, it then no longer has power and they can't use it against you. So uh, that's how I view it. <sighs> All right, we're going to get to Delano next. Thank you, Royce. Great job. You can email me and us, fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. Delano Squires, next. We want to go to heaven with freedom. It's my obligation on hate discrimination, raising up your hands for freedom. All right, welcome back. Welcome back to a special edition 
of Fearless with Jason Whitlock. We are continuing our conversation about Louis Farrakhan, who celebrated his 90th birthday uh, yesterday. I know that uh, the conversation uh, may be difficult for some of you all, uh, some of our traditional audience, but for someone like myself and others, Louis Farrakhan has played a, a pretty significant role in my outlook on race, my outlook on male responsibility, and we're going to go a cut deeper. And you know, we just had a interesting conversation, a good conversation. Royce White, Bryce, and myself. Bryce is still here with me, but now I want to pivot, uh, and we're going to bring Delano into this conversation because when I talked with Delano this morning about discussing Louis Farrakhan, Delano pointed out to me like, "Hey, man, let's go at the relationship." and possible role Louis Farrakhan perhaps had in the murder of Malcolm X. And so I want to start this segment before we get to Delano by playing this clip. I believe this is maybe in 1993. I can't, or it might be even before then. I think it's 1993 though. Uh, uh, don't hold me to the date. This is Louis Farrakhan talking about the murder of Malcolm X, there have been many allegations made that Louis Farrakhan played a role in the murder of Malcolm X. Here he is speaking to his congregation about Malcolm X and his murder. He dogged the messenger, the man that took him from a pimp, from a hustler, from a stick-up man, and send him before the world. Now he's dogging his teacher. What do you think we felt? Elijah Muhammad wasn't just a leader. That's our spiritual guide and father, brother. You don't have to order me to kill you. If you attack my father, my orders come from my love. I want you to hear me good because Every Muslim that loved Elijah Muhammad would have killed Malcolm if we had gotten a chance. Now I don't need no damn applause. I want you to think now. We didn't incite that. Malcolm incited that in us. He would have been dead. He would never have lasted a year. Elijah Muhammad told us, leave him alone. Leave him alone. Told me to my face, leave him alone. And I'm an obedient servant. Yeah, I love Elijah Muhammad enough that if you attack him, I will kill you. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And I'm not a killer, but neither are you. But if somebody attack what you love, each one of you in here would become a killer instantaneously. Am I lying? Mother, let somebody look like they're attacking your child. Here's a woman who fought a bear because the bear snatched her baby. 
And she ran the bear down, screaming until the bear dropped her baby. Love casts out fear. We don't give a damn about no white man law when you attack what we love. And frankly, it ain't none of your business. What have you got to say about it? Did you teach Malcolm? Did you make Malcolm? Did you clean up Malcolm? Did you put Malcolm out before the world? Was Malcolm your traitor or was he ours? And if we dealt with him like a nation deals with a traitor, what the hell business is it of yours? shut your mouth and stay out of it because in the future we're going to become a nation and the nation got to be able to deal with traitors and cutthroats and turncoats the white man does deals with his the Jews deal with theirs Salman Rushdie wrote a nasty thing about the prophet and Imam Khomeini put out a death thing on him and it stands today. It's certain paths you don't cross. So what precipitated those comments that, that we did not play is Farrakhan talked about Malcolm X shortly before his death after splitting with the Nation of Islam. He did an interview with Mike Wallace of CBS where he uh, exposed or claimed that uh, Elijah Muhammad had impregnated teenagers uh, within the Nation of Islam that uh, uh, Malcolm X did a different interview, I think, in Chicago with a different, I think he called it the cusp or, or something, where he once again disparaged Elijah Muhammad's reputation and character and accused him of a lot of immoral behavior. And it's like, hey man, you split with this religious cult now you've gone, and again, this is Farrakhan's argument, now you've gone to the white media and aired Elijah Muhammad out, and that sparked a passion and an emotion in people who felt like, hey look, this is my father, this guy made me something, and he's basically arguing that Malcolm X owed uh, Elijah Muhammad a far greater debt, keep in mind, Malcolm X beforehand was Malcolm Little, in prison, a pimp. Uh, some people say a prostitute. He didn't, he didn't play that card, but if you do the research on Malcolm X, there's research out there that says he was a male prostitute for men. <laughs> uh, and so they clean him up, and then he does this type of betrayal. So anyway, it sounds to me as if Louis Farrakhan did not kill 
uh, Malcolm X, but he was aware of probably the plot to kill Malcolm X and probably knew who did it. Uh, Delano, your thoughts on a very complicated relationship between Louis Farrakhan and Malcolm X. Louis Farrakhan did admit that he loved Malcolm X, that other than Elijah Muhammad, there was a time when Malcolm X was the guy he idolized and loved the most. Your, your mm. thoughts on a complicated relationship. So Jason, I first came across this video some number of years ago. I had never seen it. Um, and I just was interested in hearing what Farrakhan had to say. And I, my first thought was, I was shocked because next to Dr. King, I'd say the next most beloved person in the black community, certainly from that civil rights era on forward, uh, before Obama, was Malcolm X. And I, I think he appeals to, if, if Dr. King is the head, the strategy to get laws passed that overturn segregation, then Malcolm X is the heart, the, the, the fire, the fight, the passion, by any means necessary, that type of thing. And I'd never heard someone speak negatively of Malcolm in this particular way, calling him a traitor and a turncoat and having an entire crowd of people, people who the average person was believed like these, these would be Malcolm X's, you know, um, biggest fans who were cheering the notion that Malcolm was a turncoat, uh, a snitch and a traitor, and he got exactly what was coming to him. So my first thought was, wow, I never realized that, that this view was out there. And then the second thing is, I don't think I've ever heard anyone ask Minister Farrakhan about this message, I, I believe it was in 93. Um, I'm not sure if it was a Savior's Day sort of speech, but uh, it, it was some some number of years ago. And I don't think he's ever been, to my knowledge, been asked about it. Now, I know in 2000, he apologized to one of Malcolm X's daughters, uh, Atala Shabazz, in, a, in an interview on 60 Minutes that I, I want to say was with Mike Wallace. Uh, if, I'm not sure if I have that correct, but it was it was on 60 Minutes, and he basically said, "I apologize for rhetoric that created the conditions." I'm paraphrasing that led to Malcolm's death, um, and maybe that was a, a you know a peace offering because I believe at some point prior to that, one of Malcolm's daughters was indicted in a plot to kill Farrakhan. Um, so it, it's a complicated situation, uh, but I was just shocked. Because I'd never heard, Jason, Im imagine you unearth some video of some respected, you know, leader in the Democratic Party, uh, a white person in the, from the South, who black people are like, yeah, you know, this person fights for our rights. And they were at a church basically saying that Dr. King got exactly what was coming to him. And they said this in the mid-90s. And the entire crowd, the, who, the type of people who would be putting up... You know, BLM signs and all this other nonsense, the entire crowd was cheering. Imagine the reaction you would have to that. Um, that's sort of how I felt when I saw this video. My, my th I saw it years ago and have probably watched it two or three times over the past 20 some odd years. And I, I gotta be real. I get where Farrakhan's coming from. Mm. That was a religious cult that uh, Malcolm X pictured with guns, talking about taking violent steps, uh, 
to defend your rights and your beliefs. It, it, it wasn't, you know, if, if Martin Luther King dying by gun violence or gunshots is much more shocking because he was all about peace. Malcolm X's rhetoric was more about war. And so you live by that sword, you die by that sword. He joined a religious sect that believed in violence and believed in, you know, that, that you know, it's, all, it's like joining a gang, blood in, blood out. And this dude exited that gang and then went to go talk crap on the gang leader and got whacked. It's, it's, it's like the hmm. mafia. And so hmm. if I can sit up and watch Godfather movies and Tony Soprano movies and we can hear real stories about what goes on in the mob and so-and-so uh, broke, broke a mortar or what do they call it, a mortar or whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he broke those sacred vows and, and they get whacked. We, yeah, that's the, you joined the mob. And, and that's, you joined the Nation of Islam and they were, you know, Malcolm X believed in guns and believed in protecting what he believed in. And so I hear Farrakhan's argument and I don't blame them for considering the guy a traitor. I, I, I really don't. Malcolm X is, his book is the book I've read the most, probably had, it's the most, other than the Bible, it's one of the most profound books I've ever read. It had a huge impact on me. Uh, but I'm not someone that has a suit. I thought Malcolm X is brilliant. Uh, I think he was profound. I think he was visionary. But far from perfect. And, and this part of me is like a bit of a coward. And I say that because... Martin Luther King called him out on that in real time, not as harshly as I just did, but it's like, hey man, you can sit up there in the North and talk all that, man, I, you know, if I was down there, I'd be doing this or that to the white man, blah, 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 and, and, and Dr. King's like, no, we down here in the South and they bombing our kids and they got water hoses and they lynching us. Yeah, it's easy to talk all that smoke in New York or Chicago we're down here in the South on the front lines, kids in body bags. And I always respected that about Martin Luther King. He didn't say it just the way I unpacked it, but that is the gist of what he was saying. Yeah, y'all can talk all that smoke in New York. Come down here and say it in Mississippi and see if you're ready to see what's coming back at you. So uh, I'm not surprised that uh, people within the Nation of Islam killed Malcolm X. He did betray them. So you think, and Delano, I'm, I want to ask you this too. Both y'all, y'all think that the Nation of Islam has something to do with his death, even if it wasn't Farrakhan directly? Without question. You don't? No, I, I agree. I, I know a lot of people say CIA, but if you look up the history, um, the, the turmoil between uh, Malcolm X and the rest of the Nation of Islam during that time, I mean, that's... That's enough evidence in my opinion. So I, I agree, but there's an argument that it was the CIA. I know you probably heard that before. So that's why I wanted to ask. Delana, you got any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I mean, later in the video, uh, so, so the, 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 vid, the entire 30-minute clip is interesting because you see Farrakhan sort of um, crafting a narrative. So he, he, he in that clip, he, he talks about, you know, Malcolm is a traitor. He, he talked about how Elijah Muhammad cleaned him up, so on and so forth. But he also said Elijah Muhammad told them, don't touch him. And he, if you heard Farrakhan said, I'm an obedient servant, so I didn't touch him. But I understand that every movement has zealots. So later on, he said, yes, I believe that members of the Nation of Islam killed Malcolm X. But he also said that Malcolm X's camp had been infiltrated and the nation had been infiltrated by federal agents. I'm not sure, he didn't say CIA, I think he might have said FBI, but federal agents nonetheless. And that some of these people had prior knowledge that this thing was going to take place. Um, so he put some responsibility there. But, but Jason, you 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 um, you made some very interesting comments, and and uh, if I could respond really quick, I I don't I have not ever heard Malcolm X say in an in an offensive sense we need to take up arms um, to attack or go into offense against white people. What I've heard him say is that we should bear arms to protect ourselves against, you know, racist whites. And and obviously that's pictured in in, in Malcolm X um, in the movie, both in terms of his his father in the beginning, where his where his mom told his dad, you know, you're a much better shot than that. These white these clan members come to scare us, intimidate us. You should have killed them. And and she said, you I know you can shoot better than that. Um, and then you fast forward to Malcolm, you know, that iconic picture of him with the with the rifle at the window. And in that sense, I have no problem with him taking up arms. I mean, that's what the Second Amendment is for, right? And for the people who say the Second Amendment applies to all citizens, well, Malcolm X was a citizen of the United States of America. And, you know, there are there were people within the, the king wing of the civil rights movement who were much more open to taking up arms at, as a protective measure than Dr. King was. And in fact, I believe if I had the story right, there was a county, I can't remember what Southern state, but denied Dr. King a license to carry a firearm. Um, so there was always a movement. I, I, I think the Klan, to the extent that nonviolence and, and you know, sort of laying down arms was a part of, a significant part of the King wing of the civil rights movement, I'm sure the Klan loved that. Because it's the same argument Second Amendment advocates make today. Like, of course, of course, any your enemies, the government, foreign powers would want you to be disarmed. So I, I have no problem with him saying I, I'm willing to take up arms to defend myself, my family, and my community. None whatsoever. I would actually look at him funny if he didn't say that. Um, that being said, you know, I, to me it was still you know somewhat surprising to hear someone castigate. Uh, Malcolm so directly and so publicly and not and it's not it'd be different if this is if this is Farrakhan on a podcast but to hear the entire crowd cheering I just wonder what the reaction from the broader black community would be if this video was made more public obviously it exists it's on YouTube if you want to find it but there's a lot of things on YouTube that many of us have never seen before and there's a lot of relationships between different um, you know, civil rights organizations, resistance organizations, liberation organizations. Shoot, Gloria Steinem was was on the payroll of CIA, right? She so there there's a lot of overlap between um, 
sort of movements that ha- that the government considered subversive at one point or another, and the federal government itself in terms of infra- infiltration, uh, provo- uh, provocation, intelligence, all types of stuff exists in that context. So it was just interesting t- to to hear that. Um, and I, as I said, I would love to hear somebody ask him about that. But I, I'll say this one thing real quick. Um, and, I, and I saw your tweet this morning. I didn't know that the show was going to be about about this. Um, I, I said, Jason is starting his morning off with, for a little bit of violence. I said, okay, that's fine. But I think that there's a conversation to be had socially within the black community about whether... Um, following the path of Malcolm would have put us in a better condition in our communities than following the path of King. And when I say that, I mean specifically um, the the black preachers who, who came out of the King lineage, the Raphael Warnocks, the liberation theologists, the, the Jeremiah Wrights, all those other guys, they have the same hate whitey ideology as Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam. The difference is the Nation of Islam asks, requires, and demands something of black people. Put down the pork, put down the liquor, put down the drugs, come out of the strip club, marry that woman before you give her a baby, dress modestly, speak to each other with respect, no violence, no drugs, no crime in our communities. And what you get from the the Kingian lineage of black preacher is the hate whitey plus abortion, LGBT, drag queen story hour, um, you know, no talk of the nuclear family, big government spending, government is your daddy, uh, welfare, so on and so on and so forth. And I think the former message of self-sufficiency and self-respect is far more valuable to the black community than the latter message, even though the latter one is wrapped in a thin veneer of Christianity. I certainly think uh, Malcolm X's path or the Nation of Islam's path would have served black people better uh, socially, economically, Mm -hmm. upward mobility-wise, self-sufficiency-wise than the king path. Spiritually, and again, this is somewhat up to debate because uh, Dr. King was somewhat (laughs) of a heretic as as well, Mm -hmm. But, 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 you know, the traditional black church has led us astray the, the, the thing you're leaving out about the Nation of Islam, and it's what's always it's why I'm having this conversation. It's why I tweeted out what I did yesterday on his birthday. It, and it's why, you know, some people will hate this show and hate me, but I don't care. Those people, the Nation of Islam speaks directly to the black man about Correct. his responsibility. That has always attracted me. And mm-hmm. I'll never apologize for going to Savior's Day, going to Million Man Marches, for getting weekly ship, monthly shipments of Farrakhan speeches, because it appeals to my patriarchal mindset, it appeals to my biblical worldview, 
that men are supposed to take responsibility and, and the traditional Christian black church has turned everything over to the woman mm -hmm. and caters to the woman and it's, it's off-putting and ineffective uh, for me. I, I just want to clarify one thing as it relates to Malcolm X. I don't have a problem with the man owning a gun and saying he would defend himself and all that other stuff, but in comparison to Dr. King, again, Malcolm X said he was about that smoke and he joined a religious cult. That's what the nation of Islam is. And, and, and again, that's a blood in, blood out situation. That was when you reach his level, the low end, because I had some family members join the nation of Islam. Mm -hmm. Friend of mine from college has been in the nation of Islam for dang near 40 years. And he's been out sometimes in. But when you reach that level that Malcolm was at, it's only blood in, blood out. And so mm -hmm. I, I, I'm, I don't want to sound heartless, but he knew what he was getting into and perhaps had a death wish. That's why he went to Mike Wallace and, and was saying all this. I don't think it was compelled by, I just got to out this guy and alert everyone to the truth. The dude knew he was signing his death certificate. And, and I get, there's nothing Louis Farrakhan said in that tape that Malcolm X could say, yeah, yeah, I'm surprised they felt this way. A lot of these guys came straight up out of prison, got cleaned mm -hmm. up by the Nation of Islam, felt a loyalty and affinity to Elijah Muhammad that yes, they would kill for. And it cost Malcolm his life, but better path, King or X? Malcolm X. Um, discipline, bare arms, obedience, self-sufficiency. Um, Dr. King, you know what, when I, when I was a while, when I was during, like during my pro-black phase, I was only Malcolm X. I tried to watch some Dr. King, he was too soft, too bubbly. <laughs> I, I don't think that's effective. I like, I, I like Malcolm X. That picture y'all talk about with him with the gun, yeah. that was on my screensaver on my computer. I watch every speech. Uh, so mm -hmm. like, e even now, I think a lot that pro-black stuff is kind of odd, but um, during his time, I, like, it's true. Like, I, why wouldn't I protect myself, even if it meant using violence against mm -hmm. people that hate me for my skin color? Yes. Yeah, so, 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 yeah, I think, I think uh, he's a better path. So, in that same line, why wouldn't I use a gun to protect myself? Blah, blah, blah. The Nation of Islam and Farrakhan saying, is like, your attack, you're trying to bring down this whole organization by attacking Elijah Muhammad. They're, they're, in their mind, there's thousands of men and women who've been saved by this religious movement and you're trying to destroy the leader? That, Farrakhan's argument is like, yeah, I stood down because I was told to by Elijah Muhammad, but I knew somebody was going to do it. And <laughs> it's, it's logically sound. I, I, yeah. I mean, the, it's not illogical or irrational, uh, what Louis Farrakhan said, but it is idolatry. Uh, because you're doing it over a man, and if, if Malcolm X is right in what he was saying about the man, then that's worse than idolatry, because now you're willing to defend this person more than you're willing to defend uh, the Quran. Mm -hmm. The Quran wouldn't be mm -hmm. in support of a lot of the stuff that Malcolm X claimed against him. So uh, That's why I call it a cult, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, a, <laughs> that's what I said. Logically, I mean, Louis Farrakhan, well, Louis Farrakhan said it didn't make me upset, because it's like, it makes sense, right? If, if, if this is what we're on, you out here doing this, you are a traitor in, in our eyes, and this is how typically people should deal with traitors, uh, you know, to be honest. 
uh, Delano will end on this note. Mm-hmm. How how should I mean Louis Farrakhan's ninety years old? How mm-hmm. should he be remembered? I, you know, mm. corporate media is going to remember him as an anti-Semite. Is that fair? How should he be remembered? I mean, I, I think that characterization is probably fair, just based on his words. Um, but let, let me say this, Jason, to sort of put my comments in context. As I've gotten older, I've come to realize and accept and acknowledge that when you're talking about a controversial person, a controversial figure, a public figure, that the reason that people like this person is not always the same as the reason people on the other side dislike them. And, I, and I'll tell you when this really sort of came into form for me. When, when Rush Limbaugh passed away a couple years back, right? I didn't, I didn't really listen to Rush. I knew who he was, but he really came on my radar during the Donovan McNabb ESPN controversy, right? But, but I'm aware of some comments he's made, you know, in the NFL game looks like, you know, bloods in the crypts and other things that people would characterize as racist. But when he died and I saw conservatives, some, some conservative Christians saying, you know, rest in peace to Rush. He was one of the greatest. I listened to him on my way home with my dad, da, 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 da. I didn't assume that people liked Rush Limbaugh for the reasons that the left disliked Rush Limbaugh. Um, and it's the same for other historical conservative political figures, right? They may have had views on race that were considered racist at the time and still to this day. Or the same with, you know, some other other political figures even further back in history, ones who owned slaves, so on and so on and so forth. So when I think of Farrakhan as, as a guy who grew up in New York City, he's always lived in East Coast cities my entire life, the consistent message that I hear from people is, when the Nation of Islam come into a community, it gets turned around because they believe in order, structure, and self-respect. And that's why when Marion Barry died in DC a couple years ago, Louis Farrakhan was on the dais, along with a number of other leaders to celebrate his life. The people didn't, there didn't invite him because he, he said, you know, the Jews are the devil, right? As objectionable as those comments uh, are and, and would be taken, obviously, that's not why they like him. So I think he's a complicated figure. Uh, I think he's, you know, a charismatic speaker. Um, I think he's, he's not just complicated because of his legacy, his interests. Farrakhan is a classically trained um, violinist, I believe. And I've heard him speak about how he learned violin from, from a man, a Jewish man, that he said, basically called him the violin god or something to that effect. He's, he's played, I want to say he's played with the Boston Philharmonic before. So as is the case with many people, he's a complicated figure, a layered figure. And I think black folk, the black folk who like him, like the fact that he's very vocal uh, against you know, racism and white supremacy and so on and so on and so forth. But also, he's very vocal as it relates to the responsibilities that men, particularly black men, have to our communities. And his is one of the few, if only, black religious movements that has not been colonized by the move of the left. You're not going to see the women of the fruit of Islam, you know, uh, uh, you know the, the women of the nation of Islam out there at some pro-abortion rally. You're not gonna see no drag queen story time at Moss Number Seven in in New York or 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 in Chicago. Those things are not happening. So, you know, he's a complicated figure in the way that many historical figures are complicated. Is he Hitler? No, he's not. 
Because the only the, the only acts of violence that I know that I believe were committed by the nation of Islam, sort of on paper of public record, was the assassination of Malcolm X and um, the Hanafi murders. I want to say this was in D.C. in like the 1970s. I do not know of any incident in which the nation of Islam has been alleged, <coughs> charged, or convicted of kidnapping, assaulting, or murdering any white or Jewish person. And in that sense, it is a sad reflection of how we as black people operate from the shores of the Dahomey Kingdom to the, the, inner, the inner sanctum of hip hop culture. We got a lot of talk about the, the scourge of white supremacy, but when it comes time to load the guns up, they are almost always trained on another black person. And I think to the extent that there was a message of nonviolence coming from Dr. King, uh, I agreed with his perspective that I had to start in our own house first before we work it out into the to the larger and broader community. So a complicated figure. I know particularly older black men, you know, his message resonates with them. I think a lot of younger black people either don't know who Farrakhan is or don't respect, you know, the, the role that he's played. Um, I think he certainly could have done more. In, in areas of the culture, um, but I, I ultimately don't believe that the people who respect him and admire him and 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 like him, the non-nation of Islam people who feel that way about him, do so because of his most controversial views. Thank you, Delano. Great job. Thank you, guys. Uh, go to youtubecom Whitlock, Hit notifications. Hit subscribe. Gonna lighten it up. Bring Topher in. One of Bryson's friends, another Christian rapper. Topher's doing something fun. We want to incorporate it into our show. Topher, next. All right, welcome back. As I told Bryson at the top of the show, I had a little surprise for him. I was going to bring in one of his friends on the show, another uh, Christian conservative rapper that I, I've, I've met here in Nashville at a Candace Owens event. I know he and Bryson are close. Topher, welcome to Fearless. I got your boy Bryson here with me to help me out. What's up, y'all? What's up, Bryson, Jason? What's going on? Yeah, what's, what's happening? <laughs> uh, Topher, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get straight to it. I'm not going to uh, do a little sneak attack. Shamika Michelle has been bragging about your Bible quizzes. She sent me your Bible quizzes, and, and this is I'm setting you up. I'm putting you in a very tough position. I love these Bible quizzes. He goes out in a Walmart or some grocery store, parking lot, wherever, and he approaches someone and says, if you can answer these three Bible questions, I'll give you a hundred dollars or, you know, he'll have some little Bible related story that he'll share with someone. And I love it and actually want to see if 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 there's any way I could use a few of these occasionally just to break up segments in my show. Your clips are about 60 seconds. I'd love to be able to use them between segments just to lighten up some of our conversation and just feature yourself, feature some biblical questions. Uh, I want to give a little um, taste of the audience. Here's a quiz 
that Topher did uh, quizzing someone about Bible knowledge. Let's play the clip. <clears throat> I got a riddle. I know it's outside the norm. I got a riddle. The riddle goes, what's greater than God, lesser than the devil, rich people want it, poor people have it, if you eat it, you'll die. Repeat. What's greater than God, lesser than the devil, rich people want it, poor people have it, if you eat it, you'll die. No, I, look, I almost don't want him to tell me so I can figure it out. <laughs> I don't know nothing greater than God. <laughs> so, you know, I would say nothing. And you will be correct. Uh -huh, nothing. 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 Because if rich people want nothing, poor people have nothing. If you eat nothing, you'll die. You'll die. That's right. I just love it. I think it's great. What made you start doing this, Topher? Well, it was probably around March, February. I've been, uh, if you've been keeping up with me on social media, I've been trying to put together a tour for myself for several months. And I had one of my guys that was in charge of booking the venues and, and you know, securing the, 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 uh, the bookings. And he ghosted me out of nowhere for, for no reason i had you know i tried to hit him up several weeks uh different locations cell phone instagram social media it, it didn't matter he just never responded back i never did anything if anybody knows Topher, i'm at my house if i'm not out you know just performing and uh i was like man lord i, I really want to do something to you know bring glory to your name but also help my local community and i was going to do that through through the tour because on the tour i was going to bring a um, a pastor with me and I was gonna bring a conservative preacher with me and he was gonna come on We could pray for people as we're doing the shows. I said, so I need something to replace that and I got the great idea It just got on me because I remember seeing somebody else doing this this guy named greatness uh, Friends with 4G Auto Blow and he was going around just handing out cash just for no reason, you know silly stuff And I was like, man, what if what if we could just go around? You know, I remember we always no one has an issue with people going around praying for people healing you know, that's the thing. But what if we just use finances? I think a lot more people are struggling there, given the, the economy that Biden has us under, right? And I was like, look, let me go out here and just just quiz people. You know, I got some extra capital. I've been giving, I've been donating ever since for the last three years anyway. Uh, most most chances I get, I said, let's go quiz people. So we went around and started quizzing people. And uh, eventually it got turned into a full-blown ministry. Now it's called Stay in that Word Ministries. Uh, dot org and go keep up with us. We've been able to raise thirty thousand for thirty thousand dollars for a local man here in my city of Philadelphia uh, by the name of Bo Joyner. And right now we're raising funds for Nancy Fry, who's a resident of Canton, Mississippi, and she's already at thirty thousand dollar mark as well. And these are just people that I'm bumping into as I'm quizzing, and you never know what they're going through, and I never know how the Holy Spirit is going to lead me. And so I try to tailor my questions to the level of biblical knowledge I think they possess and when I asked them initially. So a lot of the questions vary from difficult to easy. And I did quiz Bryson one time. We was at the movie premiere and and for come out in Jesus' name. And I will say they were fairly too easy for that guy. So <laughs> he got away to he got away <laughs> on easy still. Uh can you quiz Bryson right now? <laughs> 
I don't want to embarrass myself, so I'm not going to have you quiz me. Depending on how hard they are, I might not get them. Do it. Let's try uh, it. Yeah. Do, do you have yeah. a quiz for Bryson we can do today? Yeah, let, let's do it. So, which one of the, the apostles' mother-in-law did Jesus heal uh, from the fever? From the fever. I said a fever. This is in the book of Matthew. Oh, man, I can't get this wrong. I just did a quiz on Matthew. I got 100% on it. She had a fever because right before that, he healed somebody else. And earlier in that chapter, he healed the, the God's servant from, from being paralyzed. What was, the, what was the apostle name? It wasn't Peter. I want to say James, but I think it's wrong. Was it James? It, nah, it was Peter. Remember Simon back then, though. It was Peter. Ah, I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. It was Peter. Yeah, Peter, the first thing hey. that came with my name, I thought it came too quick, so I thought it was going to be wrong. No, man. Hey, I remember that whole chapter. That's hey, so, so you brought up the guy that, you know, had to serve in the hill. What was he, where was he from? Mm-hmm. What type of soldier was he? That's another the guy you talking about he had to serve in the hill. No, he wasn't a soldier. He was a, um... He wasn't a soldier. He was like the head I mean, of a... Well, he was part he of the, the head military. Of, but what was he yeah, from? Like, he, what type of, what type was, of guy? I don't think he was head of the military either. Was he? Are you sure? Because you know, he, he was in Carpenham. Well, he, he was Because the servant had... Yes, that's oh. what, yeah, that's what he was. Yeah, I am about to say, because his servant was paralyzed and Jesus healed him. That was the first person he healed in the chapter. Yeah. And then... Yeah. Uh... What did he say to the guy? Because right after that, he healed the guy that came to the roof, right? Yeah. You remember? He was preaching. Remember what you said? The guy that was lowered through the roof, the paralyzed guy that was lowered through the roof. Lowered through the roof. Oh, lowered through the roof. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about it? Do you know what he said to him? To the guy that was paralyzed? Yeah, when they lowered him through the roof, what did Jesus say to him? To the guy he healed up. To the guy he healed up was paralyzed. If you if you're asking me. Yeah. Something. I'm about to get all these wrong. Cause I know the. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny cause I know the whole chapter. I know everything that happened, but it's like sometimes the specifics. He says. Yeah, something? it's just the specifics. So to to the lady to the to the lady where he healed her, his daughter, he said, "Your faith is greater than everybody else's, so that's why I did it." Um, what, he, he said something to the guy with, that he healed. Or he said something to the what's the name? Because the dude tried to stop him. The dude didn't allow Jesus in his home because he didn't feel uh, he didn't feel like worthy of having Jesus in his home before he healed the paralyzed guy. I don't remember him saying anything to the paralyzed guy though. Answer is survey says. What's the answer? <laughs> survey is he said your sins are forgiven. And then that's when the Pharisee was like, how can you forgive sins? And he was like, which is your easier sins, to say yeah. your sins are forgiven or get up, pick up your bed and walk. Forgiven or get up and walk. Correct. Yep. That's true. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. you said right. So, uh, Topher, I would love if you're open to it to incorporate uh, these quizzes into our show. Just they'd be a little short 90 second, 60 second commercial breaks for us. We could promote whatever it is you're doing uh, along with it. But man, I, I love it. It's a great way to lighten up the show. I love the videos, the way you guys have edited them and just the people's reaction. The woman that you bought the microwave for reminded me of my grandmother and how she would have reacted. 
uh, it just brings a smile to your face. And you yeah, learn something. Absolutely. And um, you have my full permission. Anybody that's listening, you have hey, look, man, it's not my content. It's the Lord's right. What I'm talking about, what I'm quizzing is coming from the Bible. So anybody that wants to use this, anybody that wants to pick up the ministry and do in their local community. Trust me, um, I've, I've just laid out a foundation. I'll show you that it's, it's, it's potent. It's possible. So go out there and make disciples of the nations. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I appreciate the the support on that, too. Tolfer, thank you for stopping by. Wait, I, what part of what part of Mississippi? I was just in Mississippi. You do all the videos in Mississippi, right? Yeah, I'm in uh, Philadelphia, Mississippi. What where part? I'm living at. Okay, I was just in um, I was just in a place where my fiance got adopted from Tupelo. How far are you from Tupelo? About two and a half. Okay, cause when we went, I told her I was like, we should go see Tofer. But I, I, we was already there, and they, the people, the adoption agency wasn't even there, so we just headed back. But yeah. Oh yeah, man. All right, time, guys, bro. we're gonna play some. We're gonna play some tomorrow, uh, and that means we'll see you next week.